This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please visit our website, myabc.church. I want to invite you uh, this morning to ponder this question. As you look at your life, what are some of the big hopes, the big dreams, the big desires that you have for maybe where you want to go in life, uh, maybe, you know, what you want to be in life, or maybe what you want to see happen next? You know, maybe it's a wedding that you want to be a part of. Maybe it's an event, you know, of graduation that you want to see happen. Uh, Who knows? Whatever it is. What are some of those big hopes, those big desires that you have? What do you want to be? What are some of those things? Uh, Recently, my five-year-old son uh, called to me from the backseat of our minivan. And he he goes, "Uh, Daddy... Uh, what do you think I should be when I grow up? I thought, great question. Thanks for asking me. In fact, I have some opinions about that. Uh, and I felt flattered that he asked. Uh, but before I could make my suggestion, he goes, there's four options. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, lays them out for me. He goes, I could be an artist. Okay, all right, here we go. I could be a music singer. Okay, all right. I'm waiting for pastor to make the list here, son. You know, I could be a policeman, or I could be a bug killer. <laughs> wasn't exactly sure what to do with the last one, but I wasn't too worried. By the end of the conversation, I'm pretty sure I was able to exterminate it. <laughs> I had to slip that in there. Uh, You know, I don't know what your hopes and dreams are. Maybe you want to be a bug killer. It's okay. Uh, You know, but sure enough, you've got some future hopes and dreams and desires and things you want to see happen, and so do I. We've got a lot of them. In fact, we've got dreams and hopes for maybe a future someone, right? These dreams started early, you know, for some of us. You know, we, we had some ideas early on about Mr. Wright and Mrs. Wright and what he was going to be like and what she was going to look like and all those kinds of things. And in fact, what we began to discover as we got closer to this is we actually had a lot of that figured out. We had expectations. We had this detailed. Some of us are seeing this in high definition. You know, we've got some serious plans and expectations. And as we began to do maybe some of that premarital counseling, we discovered some of those. Um, We've got other ones though, right? We've got uh, parents, right? We've got expectations and desires for our kids. We've got hopes and dreams for how they're going to behave when they go to the grocery store. Those might not come true. But, you know, we've got hopes, right? We've got dreams. We've got desires about who they're going to date and who they're not going to date, right? We've got dreams about where they're going to go in life. In fact, some of us are so invested in the dreams of our children that some people claim that we can actually hear the whirling blades of the helicopter as we 
hover right over top of those dreams, just making sure that they turn out just the way that, you know, we had always hoped they would. So, you know, we've, we've got some of those. We've got some other ones, though. Some of us have some dreams about what we're going to drive, what job we're going to have, what money we're going to make. We've got some hopes, right? Uh, I've realized around here in Ozaki County, some of us have actually achieved those, you know, and we are now moving on to some other things that, we, that we'd like to avoid. We actually have dreams about what we'd like to not see happen anytime soon. You know, we're actually buying insurance policies for that. Some of us are at a different end of the spectrum. We're just hoping to not see something else happen again. You know, we've got some different hopes and dreams, desires, and they are wide ranging. <laughs> but we've all got them, all right? I've got hopes and dreams. So do you. But you know what? We oftentimes forget when we look at these kinds of dreams and hopes and desires is that they are outcomes beyond our control. They are actually outcomes beyond our control. You can't control if Mr. Wright ever shows up, right? You, you can't control, you can't guarantee your child's future no matter how closely I hover. You know, I can't do it. Um, I can't. I can't. They, it's an outcome beyond my control. But we don't oftentimes think of them that way. We tend to think that if we've got a good plan together and a good execution of that plan, we can make it happen. We can pull off our futures in just the way that we want them to go. We tend to think like the old poem says, that we are the masters of our fate. We are the captains of our soul. We are in control. So, what happens when one of these desired outcomes uh, gets threatened? What happens when one of these dreams actually just gets dislodged altogether? How do we respond to that? How do we respond when, you know, Mr. Wright never shows up? What happens when the dream marriage is headed towards divorce? What happens when the kids aren't walking with God? Well, what oftentimes happens is that we become fearful of loss. Sometimes that, that fear turns into, you know, anger towards God, others, you know, why'd you let this happen? How could this have ever happened? Was it you? Was it, who was it? You know, we can, we can get a little angry, a little testy. Uh, other times, though, we can get depressed. We can, we can feel like this is just the way it's going to be and it's never going to change and it's never going to get better and we, we can feel stuck. Uh, both of those things, they can begin to steer us. We can, we can begin to steer towards, we're going to control it, right? We can, we can become Mr. Fix-It. Other times, it can allow uh, us to lead towards just being passive, just being passive, right? Both are responses to this fear that, you know, take something like marriage. You know, marriage maybe isn't going well. It's not turning out the way that we wanted it to turn out. In fact, we're really concerned about what might happen next with it. And so some of us tend towards control. We're, we're going to fix him, right? We're going we're to get this worked out. Others of us, we're so worried, we're concerned that if we do anything, this thing might end altogether. So we get passive. We just kind of hope that this rocky road will sort itself out. Maybe we'll just, you know, make it till the kids are, you know, out or something like that. We can allow that fear to 
pressure us. And that, pr that pressure happens to us, you know, re regardless of whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you're going to face that in life. And oftentimes what we can do is we can dip towards one extreme or the other. The fatalistic view of what happens, happens, or I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> one of those views. And because we live in a broken world, every last one of us will face this. But what I want to show you this morning is a another way. A way that as a follower of Jesus can guide you to choose and respond in those moments and seasons, because they're usually seasons, when our hopeful outcome gets tested. And we're going to see this from a passage of Scripture this morning, and it shows us how I believe God would have us deal with this tension between our actions and outcomes, whatever they may be. And so we're going to take a look at this from Genesis chapter 22 this morning as we're continuing on. We've been in this series now called Paradise Promised. We're going to look at a promise being tested. In this chapter, we have an outcome, a future that has been promised. It's been promised to a man named Abraham. If you're not too familiar with your Bibles, okay, Abraham is, this is the same guy you probably learned about in, you know, your world history class, your social studies class, same, same uh, historical person. In chapter 22 here, we have the most dramatic scene from his life. Uh, in the past, as we looked at last week, Abraham has actually really struggled between knowing what he's supposed to do and actually doing it. He's been afraid of the consequences where loss is the only outcome that he can imagine. So in response, he's oftentimes chosen to try to control things, to make his future come about one way or another. And in this case, this outcome, this future, has actually been promised to him by God. And we, we find Abraham here having now seen God's provision time and again. And there's about 10 years or more uh, between chapter 21 and what we're going to look at in chapter 22. And what we're told at the beginning of this chapter is a secret. It's a secret that Abraham doesn't get to know. Abraham isn't aware of this in the story until the end. And this secret is key to understanding it. So we're going to take a look at this. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. It says this, And after these things, God tested Abraham. That's the secret. Abraham uh, is what uh, his name is. It means that he's going to be the father of a multitude. And what he is being promised here has to do with that. And it's being put to the test. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now pause there. Can you imagine the turmoil that Abraham is experiencing? I want you to remember, 
Abraham doesn't have the Bible. He's got a handful of stories and experiences. That's all he has to work off of. He doesn't know it's a test. He's got little bits and pieces, but he's living in a time when human sacrifice to a god was common. This is commonplace. He would have known about this. This, is, this would have been seen as the ultimate act of worship. And so Abraham knows full well what he's being asked to do, to give the ultimate sacrifice. But he also knows something else by this stage in his life. He's come to learn something else. And what he knows is that God has promised him. God has made him a promise. In fact, the last time that he was in the land of Moriah was in chapter 12, where God first calls him. And he shows him the land that his descendants, the descendants of Isaac, are going to be inheriting. So he knows that there is a promise that God has made him. But more than just knowing what the sacrifice is and knowing what the promise is, he knows something else. He is convinced that God has the power to bring about that promise, to bring about that outcome, to keep his word, no matter what. Abraham is beginning to show us in here a bridge between actions and outcomes, between our obedience and God's will. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and took the, in his hand the knife and the fire. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, or look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Leave it to a teenager to last, ask the most logical question ever asked in the Bible. Where's the lamb, dad? Right? Abraham answers him here, and, and this is the only glimpse we get into what Abraham has been thinking during this test. It says this, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they, they went both of them together. So he, Abraham's convinced that somehow God is going to provide Somehow this is going to work out. Abraham is expecting God here, we learn from other passages of Scripture, for the impossible. He is expecting God here to be able to raise his son from the dead. He's hanging everything he loves on the promise of God. Verse 9. When they came to this place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am, saved by the bell. <laughs> and he said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Friends, when we look from our perspective at the bridge that's being built here between what we've been called to do and the outcome that is in God's control, we can describe the journey across this in one word. Faith. Faith. When Abraham is faced with the loss of everything that he holds dearest, he chooses to step out in faith. Still, his fear of God was bigger than all his other fears so that he could walk by faith. He has such an awe-filled respect for who God is, for God's power, for his promises, for who he is, that he is willing to expect to have faith in God for anything, for anything, that he is able to do the impossible. That's why Hebrews 11 commends him for his faith. This is what, as followers of Christ, we're being called to do. And what God promised is we have the opportunity to walk by faith. Between our actions and our future, it's faith. Not a faith in ourselves that we've got this or that we can, you know, decide the outcome, but a faith in God and the bridge that he's building, the bridge of his promise. That he's got this. And he's got, and as a, excuse me, as a result, that no matter what happens, his promises will always hold true. The promise of God are here for us. They are fixed outcomes that we can count on. And friends, as we walk towards those promises by faith, by a confident assurance in things hoped for but not yet seen, we can see something that clears up. Friends, when it comes to the promises of God, he's not asking you to do the impossible. He's not asking you to do the impossible. Nor is he promising to fulfill whatever outcome we have decided to pursue. No, instead, he is asking you and I to walk by faith, to take the next right step. In fact, that's what I believe we can really draw from this story this morning is faith in action. That faith is taking the next right step, regardless of the outcome. We can take the next right step, regardless of the outcome. That's what we're invited into. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got hopes. I've got dreams. I've got things I want for my kids, just like you do. I've got, I've got hopes for my marriage. But if I'm going to walk by faith with God, I have to take these desired outcomes and surrender them. I have to surrender. I have to trust. I have to have a confidence that God is going to work out things for His glory— and for my good, I'm confident that who he is, that he has the power to figure out what I can't. And so my job, regardless of the outcomes, is to take the next right step of obedience. To have that conversation that I should be having. To speak the truth in love. To forgive. To take the next right step, whatever that might be, regardless of the outcomes. A.W. Tozer described faith this way, saying, 
remember that faith is not a noble quality found in only superior men, like Abraham. It's not a virtue attainable by a limited few. It's not the ability to persuade ourselves that black is white or that something we desire will, become, will come to pass if only we wish hard enough. Faith is simply the bringing of our minds into accord with truth. It is adjusting our expectations to the promises of God in complete assurance that the God of the whole earth cannot lie. A man looks at a mountain and affirms, that is a mountain. There is no particular virtue in the affirmation. It is simply accepting the fact that stands before him and bringing his belief into accord with the fact. The man does not create the mountain by believing, or could he alienate it by denying? And so with truth, the truth of God, the believing man accepts the promises of God as a fact, as solid as a mountain and vastly more enduring. His faith changes nothing except his own personal relation to the word of promise. So let me ask you, do you have faith? Do you have faith in the promises of God where it has actually brought into conformity, into alignment, your actions? Has your thinking come into alignment with who God is, with his promises? Have you surrendered? Have you surrendered anything? Have you surrendered your outcomes? Are you surrendering the situation that you're struggling with? Or maybe have you given up? Or have you decided to take control? That you're going to be the master of your fate, or your kid's future, or your marriage? Or are you taking the next right step, regardless of the outcome? Friends, there are times when our faith, when doing what's right next, what God has invited us into, what he has called us into, will grind against everything we know. It will grind against the very outcome we want to pursue. The question is, will we walk by faith? Will we follow? Will we be obedient? I think as we do that, two basic questions begin to surface for all of us. And the first question is simply this. And I don't mean this to sound like a high school or junior high kind of teenager sound, but I, I think it's a legitimate question. The question is, why does it matter? Like, really, you know, if you're looking at this story in particular, in this case, Abraham is being tested, right? It's a test. Is our life a test? Does it matter? Does it really, if I'm saved, if I'm going to heaven, does it matter what I do next? What, does it matter at all? I think it's a fair question. And I think it's a question that if I was Isaac, I think I would be asking in the passage, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> are you sure I really, I'm, I'm the sacrifice? Does it matter? Does this really matter? Verse 11, God shares the test results and it's here that we see why this all matters. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him, Abraham, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. 
He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you what? That you fear God. Seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So why does it matter if you're living by faith? Why does it matter? Because without it, you are left at the mercy of all other fears. If you're not living by faith, you're not fearing God. And you are left to the fears of loss, of failure, of everything else. You are the, at the mercy of what happens next. And your fear is what's going to drive you. As John Witherspoon once said, it is only the fear of God that can deliver us from the fear of man. I like that. I think that that's true. I think that that really resonates in our life. That the fear of God is the only thing that can deliver us so that we can walk by faith. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? Or are you walking by faith with it? What outcome are you fearful of? Have you allowed that fear to become bigger than the one who you've been called to fear? Or are you walking by faith with that? Of late, I've been realizing uh, how easy it is to approach our problems, not by faith, uh, but to approach our problems as a practical atheist. Uh, right now, you know, we've, we've experienced some real growth with the church and so forth, and that has meant growth in lots of different areas. And so we've had needs arising all around the church of volunteers, of giving, of projects, of hurting people. And friends, I can't count the number of times that some problem has landed on my desk, I've faced it, and I begin facing it thinking, I'm in this alone. I'm in the, I've got to figure this out, right? I, I work here, right? I mean, that's what they pay me to do, right? That, figure it out, John. Get out there and make it happen, right? I can face my problems as if I'm the only one in the problem. And you can too. <laughs> It's what comes naturally to us. We are convinced that if we want a satisfying outcome, it's up to me. But that's not what God has invited us into. Having a fear and awe-filled respect for God opens the doors for you to trust Him in any situation. Thankfully, God is faithful at interrupting our thinking, friends, at reminding us that we are to trust in him, that we are not alone, that he will provide, that the outcome is not in our hands, ultimately. Yes, we're called to be wise. Yes, we're called to be faithful. Yes, we're called to do the next right thing. But the outcome is, is regardless. It's in God's hands. We are to be faithful. We can celebrate the results. We can celebrate the outcomes. We can see how what we walked by faith here and what God did, and that's terrific. But we are called to walk by faith. The simple answer to our question as a follower of Jesus Christ of why this matters is that this is the way you were made to live. This is the doorway with freedom, with joy, with peace that they're found in an obedient trust in God for the outcomes, that it's not in our hands. That's why it matters. You are made to live this way by faith. A faith that says, I'm going to take the next right step regardless of the outcome. That's how I was made. 
It's how you were made and called into this relationship with God. But if we begin to see that, then we need to begin asking our next question, our second question here. And our second question is this, how can we live this way? How can we live this way? If God doesn't ask us to control the outcomes, nor does he invite us to be passive and just say, say la vie, right? Such is life. If he doesn't invite us to either one of those, if the invitation is to be faithful, how do we live that out? What does that look like? How can we take the next right step? Well, there's two ways of answering that question of how can we take the next right step? And the first one is in terms of putting it into practice. If you look back at the verses here with me, I think Abraham offers us some insight. And as you're reading the story, maybe you notice that the author actually really slows things down for us in a way that doesn't usually happen in most stories. He slows things down for us and he gives us an opportunity to think about what Abraham may be experiencing here, what, what maybe is going on inside of his head, but it also gives us a glimpse into how Abraham responds to this request to live by faith. How does he respond here? And I think Abraham shows us something. Look at verse 1 with me. Note the phrase that's used here. He says, here I am, right? This, he uses this phrase actually three times in the text, here I am. It's an expression of really being available, of a, you know, yes, I'm listening kind of thing. And the first way that we can put into practice this choice to walk with God in the next step is to simply be available. It's by being available to what God wants you to do next. That means that we have to be available to those nudges that he gives us or give, be available to those shouts that he gives us in his word. We have to be available. So let me ask you this. If God interrupted your day, how would you treat that? If, if something went awry with the outcomes, how do you respond? Are you available at all to God? Are you walking by faith? Because availability requires some surrender. As a friend of mine likes to say, um, nobody has ever opposed God and come out a winner. Nobody has ever surrendered God and live to regret it? Are we willing to become available to surrender things so that we can take that next step? Keep looking at the verses here with me. Verse 3. What are some of the things that happen here? Abraham rises early. He saddles the donkey. He gets the servants in Isaac, right? And he cuts the wood. Verse 4. He travels he keeps being available to God's leading as God points out to him exactly which mountain to go to. Then in verse 6, he takes the knife and the fire. And then skip down to verse 9 and 10. He builds the altar. He lays out the wood. He binds Isaac until finally in verse 10, he takes the knife. What are we supposed to learn from all this detail that's provided for us here? What's the, what's the point? Why, is, why are we given all of these, these little actions, these slow, faithful movements? Well, practically speaking, this is how we take our next step by faith. We put one foot in front of the other. We put one foot in front of the other. That's what faith looks like. Us just taking that next right step. For Abraham, it looked like him getting up early. 
looked like him saddling the donkey. Looked like him cutting the wood. It looked like him moving and getting those servants and Isaac together. It looked like him tr taking that next step of traveling. That's what it looks like practically, friends. Taking your next step, putting one foot in front of the other. I'm going to deviate a little bit from what I had written here and what I shared in first service, because I'm feeling led to do so. Um, I looked at, you know, one of the stories I really considered using here of what it looks like to put one foot in front of the other is one that we need to hear, I think, this morning, as the Lord's leading me. If, we, uh, if I look back in my life, one of the times when God asked me to put one foot in front of the other, I think about it, it was back in eighth and ninth grade. I had, uh, I had looked at some images that I shouldn't have. Parents, you understand what I'm saying? I looked at some stuff I shouldn't have, and I was wrapped in guilt and shame for a whole year. I was just buried. And I was, I was leading a Bible study, and I was like the youth group MVP, right? You know, I was that kid that everybody, you know, wanted their other kids to hang out with, you know, that kind of thing. But I had done something, and I felt so guilty about it. And I remember one night, I was laying on my bed, and I was reading uh, for my evening devotions and so forth, and I felt so convicted that I needed to go, and I needed to confess to my parents. What I, had, what I had done. And so I got up and I walked, I remember every single step up those stairs to share with my parents and fearful and wondering what was going to be the outcome. What were they going to say? How were they going to look at me differently? What was going to happen next? How was I going to be treated? And I remember when I got up there and I somehow got those words out of my mouth. Friends, my parents aren't perfect. But in that moment, they might as well have been. Because they showed me grace. They showed me mercy. They spoke truth. They helped me. It wasn't judgment. And friends, when we trust God with the outcomes and we take that next right step, there's no telling what other people on this earth are going to do or what they're going to say. We never know how they're going to react and how they're going to treat us and how they're going to look at us. But friends, with Jesus, you can always know. You can always trust that he will treat you with grace and truth. He will bring you the next step. He will take care of the outcomes. And he will walk with you. He will be there alongside of you. And so practically, how do we put our faith into action? Where our marriage is being tested? We take the next step. When we, uh, you know, realize that we're being a helicopter parent, take the next step with our kids. What are, is God calling us to do to take that next step, to walk by faith and not by fear? Oftentimes I've spoken with people and they're so wrapped in fear about doing the next right step. I feel like the best thing I can do is just kind of give them a little nudge, you know, just, just go for it. Trust God for the outcomes. Don't live by fear. Don't live under the fear of speculation of what might happen next. Walk further. If you're, tr uh, if you're troubled by, you know, how can I do that? What does that look like? You know, talk with a mature Christian. Look at what that next right step might be. But as we begin to look at that and we begin to hear that, it pokes at the second piece of this. And the second piece is the promise. The second way to be able to answer this question of how can we live 
that out? How can we live in that way? The second piece is the promise. And it goes to our ability to lead, live that out. Our ability to take that next step. Because the promise found in this text from God is that God will provide. The promise to Abraham was that God will provide. And what we see in our lives as we look back, and as we look back through Scripture, is we see how God kept this promise. See, because someday there would be a father who would have a son, an only son whom he would love, love with all of his heart, and someday he would offer him up in fulfillment of a promise that he would lay him on an altar of sacrifice. That after three days of being under the condemnation of death, that someday that that offering, that perfect sacrifice, that perfect one-for-one sacrifice on our behalf would rise again from the dead because he knew no sin and death could not hold him and the grave could not keep him and he rose again in triumph, setting us free and fulfilling the promise and that that is why we can live this out, why we have the ability, why we were made to live this way and why we can take our next step with him. That was Jesus. And that was the promise in this text that we now get to see and live in light of. We join with me in prayer, friends. Father, your goodness knows no bounds. Your mercy knows no boundaries. We thank you so much that you came and that you fulfilled the promise of your word from 2,000 years ago until today, Lord, you have been faithful so that we can now stand with Abraham and declare that you will provide because you have. Your promise has been faithful and true, Lord. We thank you so much for the fulfillment of Jesus Christ as he paid the price for us. And Lord, in here this morning, God, some of us are feeling the conviction of what you would have us do next. Would you be faithful in giving us the courage and helping us to put one foot in front of the other, knowing that you are going to provide and take care of our outcomes and your goodness and your love and your truth will ensure that ultimate, the final outcome of being with you in heaven. And we trust in that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.